It might seem counterintuitive, but the most heavily armed and trained Americans are also the most frequent victims of identity theft. Scamming of military members has become big business, and it's one of the fastest-growing areas of cybercrime. My next guest has studied this problem in detail. He's the director of intelligence services at threat intelligence firm ZeroFox, Adam Dara. Mr. Dara, good to have you on. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. And you've studied this. And what have you found fundamentally of what's going on with military members and identity theft and scamming? Well, uh, lots of things, unfortunately. You know, military members are in the crosshairs on multiple fields. We have people being targeted largely by romance scams, wherein, you know, they're targeted for fraud. In other words, a person contacts them, is super nice to them, and all of a sudden needs money, just, you know, here and there, and, and they slowly work up till all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're out five to six figures with this person disappearing. In other areas, their profile is impersonated because to conduct other types of scams using their image, their job title, and their picture. You know, people tend to trust people in military uniforms. And so they can actually become that person online and then, you know, conduct onward scams. It's almost like stolen valor used for financial gain. Yeah, on a greater level, though, right? You know, you got some people that, you know, may dress up so they can get on a plane first, right? Stolen valor. Or they want the extra attention while they're walking around. But this is much worse. This is impersonating heroic men and women to rip people off. And so that that has a lot of uh, implications, as you can imagine. And on the issue of trying to scam the real military members coming from that vector, what is the vector that they get to them the most often? Is it social media? Is it phishing scams? Or how does it work? Well, two areas that we're seeing, catfishing and social media. They, you know, spray a lot against the wall to see what sticks. And so they'll approach a a military person on social media. You know, our proud men and women love to tout that they are members of the greatest military in human history. So they have their pictures up there. They have probably where they're living. Bad guys approach and say things like, hey, what's up? They become your friend. They take advantage of perhaps you're away from your family, away from loved ones, and use that as as a vulnerability, as a front door, a cracked open little door as an entry point. In the government circles, we call that a vulnerability, not in a negative sense, but, you know, people prey on these vulnerabilities. And next thing you know, they're asking for money. They're asking for favors, gift cards. uh, It could it could be anything. So that's probably the most common. And I suppose for maybe younger service members, the initial disorientation of military life, for example, or the isolation that it brings and the, the different culture that you're in might make them more vulnerable to schemes coming in from the outside that seem to normalize their life, perhaps? I'm not playing psychiatrist here, but I can imagine that might be the case. We're all humans. We've all been alone. We've all been away from home for the first time. We've all been in stressful environments. If you're former military, you understand that when you first are separated from your loved ones, that it's it's very stressful. You may or may not have made any connections as far as friends. And any downtime you have, you know, you hop on your phone, you hop on your computer, and you're looking for connections. And these schemers, these fraudsters, these degenerates are more than happy to become your friend. We're speaking with Adam Dara. He is Director of Intelligence Services at ZeroFox. And is there anything that the military institutions themselves can do to protect members from this? What would you recommend they do? The military to its credit, has lots of resources available. For example, they have a military consumer site. There's an FTC identity theft page for military members to talk to. You have your commanding officers to talk to. My main message would be, you know, like, hey, we've all been there. We've all been tricked. We've all been duped. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. We've all been there. And so the the most important thing any military member can do, if something doesn't feel right, talk to somebody about it. Talk to somebody with authority or with expertise in this area. 
There's a lot of help out there for our military servicemen and women. And the military, you know, each branch of the military has its own support system to take care of you. Your financial institutions, we've even seen some financial institutions refund you from being scammed. So please don't be shy. Don't hide this stuff. You're not alone. You're not a loser. You're not a quitter. Yes, it's embarrassing. Let's be honest. Like it's very embarrassing and it it would be hard, but you know, whatever you do, don't keep this from your commanding officers. Yeah. So in other words, this should all be part of basic training and indoctrination periods when people are new in there and then they'll have that training and knowledge for the rest of their careers. I would hope so. I would hope that this would be just a section of the training. Absolutely. And at the next level to the left, say, the IT departments and the people that provide services online to military members and to the military organizations. From your standpoint at ZeroFox, do you kind of look at the sources, the dark web and so forth, that are germinating these types of threats and maybe help organizations get to them before they get to the organization's people? Yeah, we do have deep and dark web coverage, but these romance scammers tend to operate actually in the clear, in the clear web. But, uh, you know, they, they do offer tutorials. They do offer best practices. They will sell you their guides in the deep and dark web. But at the end of the day, it's up to the end user. It's up to those in charge of our military service, men and women, to educate. You know, that's the most important thing. Something doesn't feel right. It's probably not right. Let's be honest. Like, strangers aren't that nice. You know, we're, right. we're you know, especially we, we Americans are polite. I would say, but, you know, we're not going to like have you over for dinner with our children the first night and have you stay. I mean, there are a lot of red flags and and like trust your gut on this. And if you don't trust your gut and if your gut has has failed you, then absolutely trust your training and, and trust your commanding officers to help help you flag this suspicious behavior. I've been waiting for 30 years to get my $20 million from Nigerian accounts, and they still haven't come through yet, no matter how many bank numbers I give them. But you also, in a white paper, have put together some of the pretty shocking statistics on this, how often it happens, the average loss, the losses that tally up. Give us some of the top-line numbers so people can understand how big this threat really is. All right, well, stand by. Like This may seem completely unbelievable, But after I say some of these numbers, you will perhaps understand why these degenerates participate in this scam. Number one, it works. Number two, just in the U.S. alone, $200 million were lost due to romance scams on their own. There have been attempts far back in 2014. There was a $5 billion attempt to scam people, but they ended up only getting $200 million. Like, let that sink in. I mean, so these guys are relentless. They will not stop. And they're very, very good at applying their trade craft. You know, the average romance scam costs people about $25,000 per scam. $25,000. That's a lot of money. And in some cases, our servicemen and women who are just entering their career, just starting their career within the first few years, $25,000 is a lot of money. Uh, it's a lot of money to anybody. Let's just be clear. Uh, so, so those are just some of the statistics. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming because it works. Yeah, the FTC received 700,000 consumer reports from service members, including veterans and active duty reservists, family members, in a five-year period. So this is really accelerating and, and ongoing. Correct. And if you think about, we have a, what, a, approximately a million, we have a million-man army, standing military. That's an incredible amount. So you are almost certain to be approached in some way, shape, or form. And if it's not by romance scams, It's going to be by individuals, adversaries who want to know more about you for other things. Although we're talking mostly about financial losses, I would just add a word of caution that you are an attractive target for many reasons, U.S. military, many reasons. 
Adam Dara is Director of Intelligence Services at Zero Fox. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure, Tom. Thank you for what you're doing. We'll post this interview along with a link to his white paper at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me 
and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. 
Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.